All right, good to see everybody. If you're joining us online, we're glad that y'all are with us as well. My name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 21. As you've heard already, today is Palm Sunday. So just some context, that's the first day of the last week of Jesus' life. He dies on Friday. So this is the Sunday of that week. It's Passover time. Uh, so that's a, one of the three major religious festivals of the year when Jews from all around would come to Jerusalem uh, to spend a, about a week worshiping and celebrating. So you've got tens of thousands of extra people in Jerusalem. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem with a group. It's not just him and the twelve. There's a group of these pilgrims, we don't know how many, that are coming with them also. And what's on everybody's mind is Passover. Looking back to Exodus, thinking of God's deliverance of the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, the plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, that's what they're thinking about. Their current uh, circumstance, it's not an exact parallel, but it, there, there's some similarities. They're not slaves, but they're under Roman rule and Roman occupation. They're not a free and independent state. Uh, Deuteronomy 28, one of the blessings of obedience, God says, is you'll be the head and not the tail. You'll always be on top and never at the bottom. And that's not their reality right now. They would say, no, we're not. We're certainly, we may not be the tail, but we're certainly not the head. Maybe we're like the stomach. We're somewhere in between. We're not there yet. And so they're looking for deliverance. They're looking for God to send someone like Moses who will set them free from this Roman occupation where they can then enjoy the benefits of being God's people. So in the midst of that context, I was going to say cauldron, that may be too strong a word. There's, there's a lot, there, there is some, there's some fervency there and some expectation and some anticipation. I don't want to overstate that. It, it's not flat. Again, you've got thousands of extra people who are in the city and they're all looking back on what God has done and looking forward to what they want God to do in the future. And in the midst of that, Jesus does this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? That's our key question today. The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So this is a, it's a provocative act. I don't know that it's stick a dynamite in a powder keg, but it's moving in that direction. It's a sign, I think. Jesus is communicating something by what he does that's bigger than a guy riding a donkey into Jerusalem. Jesus is making a claim to, the king, to being king. 
He spent three years proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is near. Spent three years healing. Spent three years feeding. Spent three years delivering people from demonic bondage. Three years raising people from the dead. He also spent three years avoiding the title king. At one point in John, people try to make him king by force and he slips away. If other people put that label on him, he doesn't necessarily say no, but it's nothing that he explicitly takes on himself until now. By riding this donkey into Jerusalem on Passover week, what Jesus is communicating is the king is here. I'm the king and I'm here. It's a deliberate fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9, which is a messianic prophecy. It's a, it says in Zechariah 9.9, see Jerusalem or see Israel, your king is coming to you gentle and riding on a donkey on the colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus fulfilled over 48 major prophecies. This is one that he orchestrates. I think he set it up in advance. I think he had talked to somebody already and said, I'm going to send some guys and when they come, you let them have the donkey and the colt because I'm going to ride them in. To be really clear, like Jesus isn't tired. He's walked over a thousand miles during his three years of public ministry. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He never rides an animal, ever. Sometimes he's in a boat. The rest of the time he's walking. It's about a half of a mile from Bethphage to Jerusalem. It's not that far. He's not worn out. His feet don't hurt. He doesn't have corns. What he's saying is, I'm intentionally fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. He's communicating he's the king without using the words, I'm the king. And the people who are with him get it. Remember, he's not traveling alone. These guys have seen a lot over the past several weeks with Jesus. He's just healed two guys who are blind. Not too many weeks before, he's raised Lazarus from the dead. You saw in that uh, graphic where Bethany was, it's just two miles away from Jerusalem. So the word has spread. It can be a bit confusing reading our story because there's two groups of people. There are folks, pilgrims, who are traveling with Jesus, and then there are other people who are already in Jerusalem. Those who are traveling with Jesus, when he gets on the colt, they get it. They treat him like the king. They're giving him the royal treatment. Cloaks on the animals and on the ground in front of him. Palm branches, that's a, what you do, that's a royal procession. Those are the elements of welcoming a king into your city. Look what they say about him. Son of David, that's a royal title. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They get it. They, they understand what Jesus is communicating. So they come into the city and it causes, maybe uproar is a strong word. Stirring is probably not quite strong enough. The, the, the people are, are they're wild with excitement would be a better translation of that word stirred. What's all the fuss? What's all the hubbub? And the people who are with Jesus say to the people who are already in Jerusalem, this is Jesus. The, the people inside say, who is this? And the crowds that are traveling with them say, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. And that's the phrase that we want to grab onto, that one question. Who is this? Most important question in the history of the universe, not just on a theoretical, philosophical level. It's the most important question any of us are ever going to answer. Jesus put it this way when he was talking to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? That's who we want to try to answer this morning. Who do you say that I am? Who is this who's causing such a fuss on Palm Sunday? 
Lots of answers, potential answers at least, to that question. During Jesus' time, there were some who thought Herod, for instance, he's the king, he thought it was John the Baptist, Jesus was John the Baptist reincarnated. Herod had had John beheaded and he thought, well, this is him come back to life. Some thought Jesus was Elijah. If you remember, Elijah didn't die. He was, he was uh, translated into heaven. And Malachi 4 says God would send Elijah back before the end with a capital E to prepare the way, to turn hearts of children to their parents and parents to their children. Some people said Jesus was the prophet. That's what this crowd thought. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses says, in the future, God's going to send you someone like me. You need to listen to that person. Listen to him. And think about Moses, miracle worker, deliverer, defeats the army of the Egyptians, teacher. We see a lot of that in Jesus' ministry. It makes sense that people would connect those two and say, this, this, he's like him. Jesus is a lot like Moses. He's the prophet who Moses told us to look for. The religious leaders thought he was a demon-possessed heretic. You have this range of opinions. And you still do. Very, very few people think Jesus was, is not or was not a historical figure. I, I don't know anybody. It's very, very few people. It's not a credible position anymore. But acknowledging that Jesus is real, still wide range of opinions on who he is. He's a Jewish revolutionary. He was a traveling spiritual, religious guru. He's, a, he's, he's an example of the best of us, the best of what it means to be a human spiritual leader. You have all these options out there in the world. Who is Jesus? And even within the church where you think we would kind of agree on who Jesus is, we got lots of options as well. Really popular in the last two years is political Jesus. He's either Republican Jesus and he's all about personal responsibility and small government staying out of the way so we can do our thing. Or he's Democrat Jesus who's all about social justice and taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. But there are other options also. There's boyfriend Jesus. And he just thinks you're really cute. And he has a crush on you and wants to hold your hand and tell you how great you are. And there's hippie Jesus, who's peace and love, and can't we all just get along? And Sunday school Jesus, who's meek and mild and pedestrian and predictable. You get to choose. Bobblehead Jesus, he's like a good luck charm. You keep him in your back pocket. Whenever you need him, you pull him out, and there he is for you. Options. You would think we would agree, and we don't. He wants to conform us into his image, and we spend a whole lot of time kind of conforming him into ours. What does it mean for him to be the king? That's what he was communicating on Palm Sunday. I'm the king. What does it mean for us to say Jesus is not just the king, but my king? That's not a a title that most of us grab onto. We get it intellectually, but we don't live in a monarchy. So the idea of a king is it's foreign to us. We get to pick the people who lead us. If we don't like them, we get to vote them out. You don't get to do that with a king. What does it mean to say Jesus is the king? There's two times in the Bible where Jesus rides an animal. One is Palm Sunday. We just saw that. The other is in Revelation 19. Let me read you this. You may remember this when we looked at Revelation. 
This is the Battle of Armageddon. I saw heaven, that's John talking, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule the nations with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus rides a donkey 2,000 years ago, and at some point in the future he's coming back riding a, a white horse. Both of those entrances communicate the same thing. The king is here. Can you hear that this morning? The king is here. Psalm 24, it's this royal psalm. Some people call it a psalm of ascension uh, when the ark most likely was coming into the temple. The last few verses, lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up your heads that the king of glory is coming in. And unfortunately for us, we miss it. We miss it so often. We get Jesus is the king up here. But all that that can mean to us, we, we, we miss. We overlook. Palm Sunday, Jesus communicates, I'm the Savior King. He doesn't come in on a war horse. He comes in on a donkey. It's an animal that's used in a civil procession. Doesn't intimidate anybody when somebody comes waddling in on a donkey. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's coming to die. He knows that. He's not coming to overthrow Rome. He's coming to lay down His life as a ransom for us so that we could be set free and reunited with the Father. He's a Savior King. In Revelation 19, He is a warrior king. And He is on a war horse. And He does have a sword. And He's coming to destroy all of those who oppose Him and His people. All of those whose agenda is to steal and kill and destroy. All of the work that He began on the cross, He will finish when He returns. He's a Savior King. He's a warrior king, those are two sides of the same reality. And for us, we want to grab onto both of those. We tend to fall one way or the other based on our personality and temperament. Some of us love the meek and mild Jesus of Palm Sunday. We love Him coming in to lay down His life. We love the idea of the humility that Jesus displays, willingly choosing to die. Some of us maybe were a bit more militant. We're a bit more aggressive. Maybe we see the evil in the world and we're like, we don't need a guy on a donkey. We need somebody with a sword. We need somebody who's finally going to take care of the evil that we all experience. They're both true. But for us, again, I think we, we miss the comfort 
and the conviction that can come from recognizing Jesus as a king. We relate to him in a lot of ways that are true and right and good. Ways that he told us to. He's our good shepherd. He's our healer. He's the bread of life. He's the vine. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the gate. He's all of those things. He's, he told us all of that. 100%. Good, right, yes. Do you know Him as your King today? As your Savior King and as your Warrior King? What's difficult about acknowledging Jesus as a King is kings have the right to rule and to reign. We don't get a vote. That's not American. But it is kingdom. We don't get to vote. He just decides. And we submit. When I think about Jesus as a king, that's the word that comes to my mind most readily. Our response is one of surrender. That's a thread that's run through for us since the fast in January. I feel like this idea of surrender keeps popping up. What does it look like for us on a daily basis to surrender to Jesus, to acknowledge His right to rule and reign in every area of our life? When I think about pushing back against Jesus as a king, ultimately it gets down to control. The one thing that most of us don't want to relinquish. We're fine in certain areas of our life giving Jesus control, but the idea of giving Him control fully across every area, consistently, day in and day out, for many of us, it's, it, it's a step too far. For some of us, control manifests itself as protection. We either try to protect ourselves or we try to protect our world, the people that we love. That's what we do. That's the way control expresses itself in us is this. We do this right here. If that's you, can you remember that Jesus is your warrior king? He fights for you. doesn't mean you're never going to struggle. and doesn't mean the people you love aren't going to hurt. We live in a fallen world. Those things are going to happen. But your king is not disinterested. He's not disconnected. He's not distant. He's not impotent. He fights for you. And he is fighting for you. He has a sword. And when the time is right, he will deal fully and finally with every source of stealing and killing and destroying. Can you trust him? For some of you, the way that, that control manifests itself is its self-determination. I know the best way forward here. It's my life and I'm going to live it. I got a plan. Can you remember that Jesus is your Savior King? He loved you so much that He willingly laid down His life for you. He's demonstrated how committed He is to your well-being and to my well-being by choosing to die so that we can be set free. If He's willing to do that, can you trust Him with your money? If He's willing to do that, can you trust Him with your future? If He's willing to do that, can you trust Him with your health? With your business? With your home? Can you remember this king, unlike anyone I know, willingly dies for his subjects? If he was willing to go to that length for our good, how much more so can we trust him in these other areas of our life? Jesus is the king. The Savior King, the Warrior King, our response is surrender. For me, that's not a one-time deal. That's not even an in-the-morning-when-I-wake-up thing. There's 
constant forks in the road throughout the day where I get a choice. Am I going to surrender, submit to Jesus as the king? Or am I going to give in to fear and try to protect what's mine? Am I going to give in to self-centeredness or self-will and try to make my own way? In those moments, can I remember, Jesus is my Savior King, so I can trust Him. Jesus is the warrior King, so I can trust Him. I want to challenge you this week, this holy week. Meditate on that. What does it look like for you to live with Jesus as your King? I think the most appropriate response is worship. When we worship, we lift Jesus up. We're saying with our words and with our actions, Jesus, you're bigger than me, you're better than me, you're greater than me, you're more worthy than I am of attention and focus. And so when we, when we worship, ideally, we're taking all the focus off of ourselves and putting all of it onto him. All of our consciousness we're taking from ourselves and what's going on in our lives and we're shifting it to him. That's Ideally, that's what worship is. People close their eyes in worship is to help them focus. When people lift their hands, that's what they're saying. Jesus, you're worth, like, here, all of it. It's yours. And so we're going to close today with worship. We're going to watch this little clip. We show this every Easter. It's a guy named Pastor Lockridge. He died about 50 years ago. And he is describing who Jesus is as a king. And it's meant to stir you. Like, that's the point. It's meant to stir you in here. And then from that, we're going to step right into just one closing worship song that Bo is going to lead us in. And I want you to engage, every one of you. I want you, with your worship, to acknowledge Jesus is your king. And he's worthy of everything that you give him. Pray with me. And then we'll close with worship. If you're willing, you can pray along with me something kind of like this. You may have never acknowledged that Jesus is your king. And if so, we want you to do that. And that's super simple. All you got to say is, Jesus, I acknowledge that you're my king. And I want you to step into my life and run the show. And he will. That's simple. For those of you who've already made a decision to follow him, acknowledging him on a regular, ongoing basis as the king, it can be tricky. So again, maybe pray something like this. Jesus, I want to confess that I tend towards control. And you can just name the areas where you do. Those two big ones that I named. One is control as protection and one is control as self-determination. Yours may look different. I confess that when it comes to you being king, I'm going to buck you in this area. And I pray that you would forgive me. I want to acknowledge right now in the safety and security of this room that you're my king. You're the Savior King, the one who willingly laid down your life so that I could be set free and reconciled to my Father forever. I want to acknowledge that if you didn't withhold your own life from me, how much more can I trust you with my own? 
I also want to acknowledge, Jesus, that you're the warrior king, that you fight for me. And if I'm honest, there are times where I, 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 it's hard for me to believe that because I see so much wickedness in the world. But I know you're not asleep at the wheel. I know you're not weak. And I know you're not disengaged. You're waiting for just the right time. And so I trust you to fight for me and to fight for those that I love. I want to live a life fully surrendered to you, not in this kind of grand statement kind of way, but in the nitty gritty details of Tuesday and Thursday. Would you help me to surrender? Holy Spirit, would you bring conviction to my heart when I begin to step out from under the rightful rule and reign of King Jesus? Would you gently but firmly bring me back to submission and surrender? I know this in my mind and on my best days, I know it in my heart. There is no better place to live than under your rule and reign, Jesus. It's the safest place. It's the most loving place. It's the most fruitful place. It's the holiest place. And that's where I want to dwell. So would you help me? And I pray even now as we close the service that you would stir my heart in genuine worship to you, King Jesus. That you would move me, body, soul, mind, and strength to engage fully in exalting you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Y'all can watch this. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He 
the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him for you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. My name is Cole, and this is Abby, by the way. We are the interns with the Deep Roots uh, internship here at Stonebridge. So just want to introduce uh, us in case you guys haven't met us yet. Uh, and we just wanted to uh, wrap up the service and just share some thoughts as we were talking and praying for y'all that we had. Um, so a piece of scripture that I was reminded of after David was speaking was 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. So I'll read that real quick for y'all, but it's be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I was just, uh, as he was speaking, as he was sharing, especially this week leading up to Easter, um, uh, looking to what Jesus did for us when I came to faith and uh, I kept on hearing God's will for me, God's will, just wanting to do God's will. It seemed like a big, vast uh, thing that I couldn't comprehend. And when I found this scripture in First Thessalonians, it really just narrowed down uh, what it meant to walk in God's will and to be prayerful, to be thankful, and to rejoice in who Jesus is and who he was and what he did for us. And so, yeah, I'll hand things off to Abby and she could share a little bit more with you. Sweet. Thanks. Um, at the end, when David was speaking, I was reminded of a dream I had last night. And when praying for you guys, I felt like the Lord reminded me of that as a part of encouragement and challenging for you guys. So in this dream, um, just felt like the Lord was sharing with me how he will give us good things, um, out of his kindness for us and even increase our influence here, um, but in a way to bring greater glory to his name. And in the dream, people were placing on, as that was happening, people were placing more rings on their hands and changing their attitude and their clothing and the things that they own. And so when that happens for us, it's more of an invitation to this surrender and worship that David was talking about. And like the verse that Cole was talking about, like there being a joy in surrender. And so the, the Jesus as our savior king, there's like the invitation 
in response to that is to receive. And so to receive these good gifts and this influence, but also to surrender back with joy. Um, and then for the warrior king, like the response for that is a participation and invitation to partner with him. Um, and that being the continual prayer and the um, thanksgiving and thank being thankful for those things and worshiping him for those things because he's worthy of it all. Um, and so just those two responses of, of receiving um, and participating being surrender and worship. Um, yeah. So that's, that's all I have for you guys. Hope that's encouraging. Hope you're able to do that this week um, to worship the Lord, to partake in partnering with him in prayer and worship. Mm-hmm.